I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. You know, there is no hard and fast rule that on Thanksgiving weekend we have to talk about Thanksgiving. You know that, right? But there's no hard and fast rule that says we can't. And uh, it is, you know, scripturally, uh, God throughout the Old Testament and the New, he used certain feasts to cause the Israelites to remember something. You know, isn't that great? You serve a God that, that's, that chose to have a party to remember something. That sounds nice. Um, he, had, he had a feast. Remember, remember this with this feast and this feast and this feast. Now, you don't get all super religious with that because that's what uh, some of the, the, the religious folks did. They took it way too far, and that, that became their whole thing. That became their whole religion was feast days and certain things. If you didn't observe them, you were in trouble. Nevertheless, God... God caused these, these, these feasts and these, these days, these holidays, these holy days to remember what he had done for them. So the, the Passover, for instance. Now, every feast is so cool because every feast he told them to celebrate and to commemorate, it not only looked back, but it looked ahead. You know, if you think about the Passover, it looked back to how God delivered them from the, from the wrath of the Egyptians, how God saved them from, from the angel of death that passed over them. And as, as the firstborn of every Egyptian household was killed, their family was safe because they had the blood painted over their doorposts and the angel of death passed over them. So they celebrated that God spared them, that they were passed over, and they remembered how God brought them out of Egypt. Amen. But you know that the Passover wasn't just looking back was looking ahead because that Passover, as we found out in the scripture, that Passover was signifying what Jesus would do for us, that he was the lamb of God. As they, as they used that lamb's blood over their doorposts, they didn't know that it was not just looking back. It was looking ahead at how Jesus would shed his blood and death would pass over us and we would be delivered from death into life. You also remember the feast of booths, the feast of tabernacles, how that was a period where they remembered, and you know, in the Old Testament, they, that, that time, they would remember that God had given them a harvest. They would thank God for the harvest, and they would thank God for the rain to come. And you know, when they did that ceremony when Jesus was walking the earth, and as, as they were uh, going down to the pool as, as the high priest would draw from the pool and, and uh, would draw this water and, and often sing. Many scholars believe he would sing, uh, therefore will you draw from the wells of salvation with joy, will you draw from the wells of salvation. The Hebrew word for salvation is the same root as the word Yeshua, Jesus' own name. His name means the Lord saves. So as he say, therefore will you draw from the wells of Yeshua. As they said that, Jesus stood up and said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come to me. So you see that all these feasts, they remembered something, but they also looked ahead to something. Thank God, that's what the thankful, that thanksgiving that God puts inside of us causes us to always look back and thank him, but always look ahead and anticipate. If he did it before, he'll do it again. He's been faithful. He will always be faithful. So that said, that is my scriptural foundation for being able to say, I'm going to preach about Thanksgiving today, and you can't stop me, because I, I just told you in the scripture. <laughs> no, it's scriptural. It's certain times to remember certain things. We should always be thankful. You shouldn't need a day for it. We should always be thankful, but it's good. 
I am really happy that the government of Canada at some point in our history decided that there should be a day, as they said it, a day of general thanksgiving to Almighty God. Your government did that. Isn't that amazing? That's something to celebrate. It's something to fight for. It's something to stand behind. So let's look in the book of Colossians chapter 3. I love Colossians 3 because it's so, um, I don't know how to say this, but it's something that shaped me when when it comes to me um, being able to be a part of different cultures and, and as we've ministered in different areas. Colossians 3 has really opened the door for me to believe that there is a solution and there is something beyond our racial divides. There's something beyond our cultural divides. And that is when we come under the banner of Jesus Christ and we find out who we are in him, those, those, those distinctions go away, those borders go away, those boundaries go away. And while we still celebrate one another's culture, there is a higher culture we become part of. Colossians 3, uh, let's start right in the middle of Colossians 3. Colossians 3, well, you know what? Can we just start in verse 1? Is that all right with you? Let's start in verse 1. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. One thing you're going to see as we read through Colossians 3 is that you have a choice here. So many people are led by their emotions as if they have no control over them. As if they have no control when they're afraid, as they have no control when they're sad, as if they have no control when they're joyful. But you have some control here. I know there are battles. I know there's times where you battle depression. I'm not saying it's all your fault. I know there are times where you got to fight something. But you shouldn't just be led around by what you feel. So you'll notice here, he says, keep seeking the things above. Then he says, set your mind. Your mind doesn't have to wander to whatever it wanders to. You can set it on something. Set your mind on things above. Do you know everything around you in the world? When you become born again, he says you've been raised up with Christ. Is Is it odd that those who have not yet been raised up with Christ... Those that are, have still yet to believe, those guys, is it odd that their, their minds wouldn't be set on things above? Because that's not where they are. Of course their minds are set on what's going on around them. Of course they're worried about just natural stuff. Of course they're thinking worldly because they're not where you are. And you were in the same place as them, so you can't think you're any better than them. We know what it's like to be in the darkness, but now you're in the light. You've been raised up with Christ But the world around you is trying to drag your brain, drag your mind back to the world, back to thinking the way you used to think, back back to valuing the things you used to value, back to thinking about all the time and being obsessed about the same things you used to be obsessed about. But he says, set your mind on things above. That's a choice. Set. Doesn't say let your mind wander to things above doesn't say don't fight it when your mind goes to things above. It says set it. Choose to think about things above. What does that mean? It means choose to see things from a different perspective. Choose to think about the things from a heavenly perspective. Choose to be Christ-centered in your thinking. He says this, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. It doesn't mean you don't worry about when you, you, know, you just don't 
think about eating or you don't think about clothes. Or, it, it doesn't mean that, but it means the things that you really choose to think about, the cho- things that you choose to value, how you look at the world should be from up, should be from above. Now, look what he says here. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it's because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them, you also once walked. You notice that's in the past. That's not right now. It's in the past. You used to walk in these things when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. So he's obviously talking to a group of believers, right? He's not talking to people in the world. He's talking to you. He's talking to believers. He says, you used to live in that world. That used to be your life. It's not your life anymore. So put it all aside. He's talking to believers that still need to make choices. It's not like when you got saved, all this stuff just went away. You never had a thought like that again. I suddenly, I just, I'm never angry anymore. That's lovely. But there's going to be a point in your life where you have to choose not to be angry. There's going to have to be a point in your life where you choose not to be offended with somebody. There's going to have to be a point in your life where you choose not to use abusive speech, even though it would feel so good to do it and make you feel good. Your flesh still wants it, but you have to consider that part of you dead. And I don't talk to dead people, and you shouldn't either. Consider it dead. It says... You put them all aside. You put anger aside. You put wrath aside. Put malice aside. Put slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Now listen. When we're talking about this stuff, this is not talking about just you and your time with Jesus. He's about to talk about you and your time with Jesus' people who are not always so friendly as Jesus. Jesus is easy to get along with, isn't he? Not all the time, but yeah. (laughs) He You read some of the things Jesus said. I don't think he was always easy to get along with. But Jesus is perfect. We can at least know he's perfect. Then he puts us in a group. He puts us in a family. He puts us in a body full of very imperfect people. So imperfect sometimes it's comical. You know? Now they're they're perfect through Christ. They're pure. They're clean through him. They're saints. They don't always act like that. They don't always feel like that. So when he's talking about these things, you're going to have to make a choice in your life. Put them aside. That's your former life. That stuff's dead. Put it aside. Then he says this in verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Why? Because you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices. So lay it aside. You've laid aside the old self, so don't lie to one another. He says, and you have put on the new self, who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman. But Christ is all and he is in all. Now, the reason he's having to tell you this now is that's not always obvious. It's not always really obvious. Oh, man, Jared, every time I talk to Jared, I just see Jesus in him. Well, maybe Jared, because Jared's a good, such a good guy. 
But not everybody you come in contact with, not everybody in your church, not everybody in your family fits that description. The closer you get to people, the more you have to remind yourself, I define them by Christ. I don't define them by their flaws. Because the closer you get to people, the more you see them in the flesh. And you see them for who they are. Now, you have to know who they are is in Christ. Who they are is not, is not just that, that, that person that you're getting annoyed with and, 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 and that person with those flaws, those idiosyncrasies. Who they are is who Jesus made them to be. That's who you have to choose to see. Because he says the more we become like Jesus and the more we see ourselves in him, the more we see each other in him. And it means that a Greek and a Jew can get along. It means that a barbarian and a Scythian can sit down at the Jew's table and eat as sloppy and as messy as they do. And the Jew will say, okay, I can, I, you know what? I see Christ in you. I see past your culture. I see past your, your, your weirdness. I see past your messiness. I see past your rudeness. And I see that we're the same in Christ. Christ is all. And Christ is in all. So those, as those who've been chosen of God, Holy and beloved, this is your identity. You've been chosen by God. You are holy and you are loved. That's important. Before he tells you what to do, he defines who you are. This is the Christian life. Before you try to do anything right, you first have to know who you are. Before God will command you to do something, he will first instill in you your identity so that you know you can do it. And he says here, you've been chosen, you're holy, and you're loved. Start with that. Because if you skip over those verses to get to the good stuff where you find out what you're supposed to do, and you skip over your identity, you will mess up the practical part. You first have to know, guys, we've been chosen. Friends, we're holy, even when we don't feel holy. Folks, we're beloved. He loves us. Now, put on. Do you notice he's talking to believers? You might think, well, it's one time. I said a prayer. I stood at the front. I got saved. All that stuff came on me. You did get saved. Thank God. Wherever you got saved, you got saved. I'm happy about that. And that changed everything. But you also have to know that every day you're going to have plenty of opportunities where you have to choose to put on something. Put on a heart of compassion. Who cares what you feel right now? Put it on. I don't really feel compassion to them. They don't deserve compassion. I, I was compassionate for them and then I saw what they did. They had it coming. Put on a heart of compassion. Put on a heart of kindness. Put on a heart of humility. Put on gentleness and patience. So you know, all these things directly relate to how we talk to one another, how we act around one another, how we think about one another. Then he says this, bearing with one another. Do you know, the Bible would never have to say bear with somebody that was just a joy all the time. We wouldn't. Really, I mean, think of your favorite person in the world. Your favorite person in the world. Now, maybe that's your spouse, so that's a bad example. Think of the one person you'd like to have dinner with that you've never had dinner with, but you'd like to have dinner with this person. This is your hero. 
Now, you don't think right now that you would have to bear with them. You'd think this is going to be a joy. I'm going to have a great time. But the closer you get to people and the more you get to know people, the more you realize that nobody lives up to that standard. And so bear with somebody. But even the people in your life, like the good guys, the, the, the funny people, the, the loving people, the gentle people, you don't really need to hear this verse. When you think of bearing with someone, does that sound like a lot of fun? Come on, let's, let's, let's just get together. We're going to have a Friday night. We're going to get together and just going to tolerate one another. Can we do that? <laughs> Sounds tolerate night? Yes. I love tolerate night. That's the best. Oh, man, I'm going to tolerate you so hard. This is going to be good. Just we're, bear with one another. This is good. Bearing with one another is not something that you have to think about when you like somebody or when they're being a perfect person. This is when you have to think, you have to remember this when someone does not seem like they deserve your tolerance. Bear with them. Why? Because we started the sentence, the paragraph, that you've been chosen. You're holy. You're loved. Now bear with one. Put this heart of compassion on. Put a heart of gentleness on. Put a heart of kindness on. Put the heart of humility on. But humility is so big. I don't think you can get anywhere in the Christian life without humility. And if you're humble enough, you realize he bore with me. He loved me when I was unlovable. He was patient with me when I didn't deserve patience. He was long-suffering when he should have given up on me. But here I stand, holy, beloved, and chosen. I can bear with this person. Bearing with one another. Forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone. Boy, this is a dangerous verse. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Do you know why that's so dangerous? It would be a lot easier if he says, just remember, Jesus forgave you, so you should forgive too. Because if he just said that, we could define what that looks like. We could, we could put boundaries on it and say, yeah, I'm inspired by Jesus' forgiveness, but I'll forgive in my own way. But he doesn't give you that option. He says, just as in the exact same way that you've been forgiven, that's how you have to forgive someone else. And, and can you refresh my memory? How did Jesus forgive you? unconditionally, over and over again, to a great degree. You were a rebel. You were uh, worthy of death. We all were. He forgave you when you didn't even ask for forgiveness. He, he had already forgiven you. He died for you before you did one thing right. That's the forgiveness he offered you. So he says, in the same way, you forgive someone else. Do you notice what it says? It says, whoever has a complaint against anyone. Now, you think... There's some, there's some words missing there. There's a paragraph missing. Isn't it like whoever has a complaint, here's the process, we're going to get it handled. Now, Jesus did say you go to the person. You go to that person. If they don't receive you, you come, you come take a couple elders, you go there. There's a process for that. But even see here, he just says whoever has a complaint, just as the Lord forgave you, you forgive them. You know, I think... If you forgave somebody, sometimes you need to address some things. Sometimes you need to go to a person so things can be made right. But that conversation is going to go a lot better if you've already forgiven them. If you're not looking for anything from them. See, if you're looking for something from them, they really can't give you what you're looking for. They can't. 
I mean, they might try and they might be a, say, oh, I'm looking for an apology. I get that, but you don't need an apology. Now, maybe they need to apologize. For their benefit, they need to apologize. If you're the guy, if you're in the shoes of the person that's done somebody wrong, you need to go make it right. But if you're the one that's been wronged, can I just tell you the freedom of forgiving somebody? For the first thing you do is just forgive them. And then you know what? If you need to go to them and make it right, if you need to go to them and say, we need to talk about this, go do it. But do it with an open heart. Do it with a heart that's pure. Do it with a heart that's not looking for anything. Because remember what Jesus said. When he prayed that prayer and said, this is how you pray. He said, let's pray this way. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Because we go around collecting debts. People that owe us this and owe us that. But we should forgive our debts as our debts have been forgiven. And when you realize you owed billions to God, suddenly when someone owes you 20, it doesn't matter. So here he says, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Bet you're wondering if we're ever going to get around to the Thanksgiving part. Or maybe not. Beyond all these things, so there's something that's even bigger than all of this. Beyond all these things, put on love. This is one of the things that the world has missed, and this is the one of the things that you only find in Jesus, is that there is love that goes beyond emotion. There's love that goes beyond warm fuzzies. There is love that goes beyond feeling. There's love that goes beyond attraction. There's love that goes beyond everything that you've ever heard before. There is a love that is rooted in something much deeper, and you must put that on. You do not fall out of love. You put love on. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Unity is just a simple word, which means oneness. We should be one. Jesus prayed that we would be one. We would be one just as he and the Father are one. And a lot of times we don't feel like one. But he says, put on love, which is going to bond you into one. Then he says this in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And it seems to me that he's writing to a group of people. I don't know if they had drama going on when he wrote it, or he's just saying you're going to have drama at some point in your existence. I don't know if they were having a bunch of strife when he wrote it, or he's just saying this will happen. But it seems to me that this whole chapter is addressing the things that would tear us apart and showing us how it's going to be brought back together again. And love is the perfect bond of unity. You put aside your anger, you put aside your wrath, you put aside your malice, and you put on compassion. You put on humility. You put on love. You put on gentleness. You put these things on, and you take those other things off. And then he says... Let the peace of Christ rule. And I know we've used that to talk about, you know, if I feel peace about it, then it's God. If I don't feel peace about it, it's not. And you know what? That is a scriptural principle that I can back up with other things. I know that. That's good. I'm not telling you you're wrong. But this verse in its context is not talking about inner peace. He's talking about peace between brothers and sisters. He's talking about, because look at the context. 
says, love is the perfect bond of unity. He's talking against strife. Then he says, let the peace of Christ. Because realize in Colossians, he's already talked about the peace of God. How God broke down the walls that divided the Jews and the Greeks. And he has become our peace. And when he says he's become our peace, once again, he's not talking about our serenity. He's talking about those two groups that could never get together. The cross put to death, the enmity, and he has made peace with God and man. And he's made peace with two groups that can now come together in unity. So here he says, let that peace rule in your hearts. If something threatens that peace, if something goes against that peace that divides brothers and sisters, that divides the family of God, it's not God. Let the peace of Christ rule. This does not mean you have to be a doormat. This does not mean that we just do nothing and hope everything gets better. Sometimes you have to fight for peace. But let it rule in your heart. And be thankful. Doesn't thankfulness, can you just be, can we be honest? Doesn't thankfulness seem out of place in this whole set, setting here? Just kind of stuck there, right? That the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. He's talking about unity. He's talking about, you know, all these things that would threaten our peace and threaten our love and threaten our, our oneness. And then he says, and be thankful. And it seems like a word that doesn't fit, but it's a word that really does fit. If you've noticed in the book of 1 Corinthians, in the book of Philippians, in several books in the Bible, the Apostle Paul will write, and he says, I thank my God every time I think of you. You ever read 1 Corinthians? Have you ever read it and realized, how could you be thankful for these people all the time? Like there was stuff going on, and he rips into them a couple times. So either he's lying or he's learned how to be thankful despite people's issues and despite people's flaws. And he's learned to look at something deeper. He says, every time I think of you, I'm thankful. I'd be like, every time I think of you, I'm really annoyed. Every time I think of you, I'm a little frustrated. Every, do you have people in your life, you don't raise your hand or don't name them out loud. <laughs> but do you have people in your life that every time you think of them, you get a little knot in your stomach? Yeah? Every time you think of them, you go, oh, or you cringe inside. And I'm not talking about just people you don't like. I'm talking about people there's issues with that have not been resolved. There's, there's people you don't really, yeah. How can the Apostle Paul go to God and say, thank you for these people and mean it? Because I think it is a choice. We often think thankfulness is just when we get so overwhelmed with somebody's goodness, we have no choice but to be thankful. But let's, that's a people-centered existence. Let's, let's, let's look at ourselves. We need to be Christ-centered in everything, right? That's who we are. We're Jesus-centered people. He's the center. Because if something else is the center, that's an idol. That's a God. That's a false God. Let's put Jesus at the middle of everything. And everything rests and everything connects to him. And that works for everything. I mean, come on, guys. That works in your parenting. Do you know child-centered parenting is a bad idea? But so is parent-centered parenting. What if we could be Jesus-centered people? Christ-centered parenting. Now I realize you say, you have a two-year-old. Let's just see what you do. But I'd rather my child, I'd rather my upbringing of that child be Christ-centered. I'd raise them to be who Jesus made them to be. I'd raise them to honor him and to know him. 
And yes, they're going to honor me as, as, as father. They're going to obey and respect me. But I am also knowing that I'm, I'm having to honor Jesus and respect Jesus. And remember, this is what the scripture says because the scripture says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. It says, honor your father and mother. For this is the first commandment with a promise. So he always ties how you treat your parents and how you treat your kids. He always ties it back to honoring God. He's the center. This should be the same with our relationships. So whatever it is that causes you to be thankful, whatever it is that rules your emotions, whatever it is that causes you to feel the way you feel, that's where your focus is. Do you know you could put two people in the same position? with the same stuff, the same circumstances, the same people around them. And one person is thankful and one person is miserable. It's not the circumstances that make you thankful. I mean, that's kind of what we feel sometimes. Like, I'm thankful because all of this good stuff is happening. But really, a thankful person is a person that chose to be thankful. And there is joy that comes with that, isn't there? And there's misery that comes with, with refusing to be thankful about something. And I understand that we are in a culture that honors and elevates the cynics and the skeptics and the critics and the scoffers. The scoffers are our heroes in this culture. Think about our heroes, guys. Think about the big celebrities. The scoffers are at the top. The ones that sit at the back and make fun of what's going on and knock people down. That's what's big. And if we're not careful, that can be part of our culture. You know, it doesn't make you any smarter to point out what everybody else notices, to point out what's wrong. It makes us feel smart, doesn't it? Be able to pick something apart, but you can pick anything apart. It doesn't make you right. In fact, it makes you miserable. Do you know, (laughs) the opposite to me of thankfulness is not just discontent. It's not just misery. It's not just sadness. The opposite to me of thanksgiving is murmuring and grumbling and complaining. And you see it in the Old Testament. When they were coming out of Egypt, you know the thing that God goes back and talks about? He says, you grumbled in your tents. Sometimes we think if we don't publicly say it, it's okay. So they grumbled in their tents against God. You know... And I'm, I'm getting to a tiny rabbit trail if you permit me. But when the Israelites sent 12 spies into the promised land, spied out and come back and bring a report, everybody saw the same thing. All 12 of them saw the same facts, saw, had the same information. 10 of them came back and said, if the Lord's with us, we can do this. 10 of them, came, I mean, sorry, two of them came back. I'm mixing it up. Two of them came back and says, if the Lord's with us, we can beat them. It doesn't matter. They'll be our supper. Ten of them came back and said, they're giants, their fortresses are big, we're grasshoppers in our sight, so we must have been in theirs. And they come back, and that's the report. So in Deuteronomy, when God is talking about why they didn't go into the promised land, why they had to spend 40 years in the wilderness, here's what he said. You grumbled against me, and you said in your tents, and I heard you in your tents, but you said, our brethren made our hearts melt. So it all started with one bad report. One bad report caused their hearts that were, had a little courage 
and thought they could go in. One bad report caused their hearts to melt. Then they went in their tents and they talked about it with each other. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not inviting like 15 strangers into my tent. Right? I mean, now this is foreign to us because we don't live in tents, but imagine you did. Who's most likely to be in your tent? Friends and family? Spouse, kids? See, that's where we think, this is my time. This is where I can just be honest. But actually, that's the time you need to guard the most. Not, not guarded like you're not open with one another. No, 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 no. See, some people say in order to be transparent, you just have to be negative. But I think, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm just being honest. I'm just being real with you right now. No, you're being negative with me right now. Because the 10 and the 2 saw the same things. But what were they focused on? The 10 came back and said, we're not big enough. They're too big. The two things they were focused on was us and them. The two that came back said, if our God said he's going to give it to us, he's able to give it to us. They were focused on God. So this is not about real and not real. This is not about transparent or opaque. This is about saying, what are we going to focus on? We all know the facts. We all see the same information. What do we choose to focus on? Because what you focus on, guess what? That's your God. And if your God is Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your God is the same God who sent his son Jesus to die for you and raise him from the dead so that you could have life. If that's your God, he's worthy of focusing on and saying, you know what, I know the facts, but what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about how God can, will, and always will bring us through this. And I'm going to be thankful. I could sit back and criticize. I could sit back and mock. I could sit back and grumble. I could sit back and complain. But instead, when you get into that tent with your close friends or your spouse, your family, the people that you trust the most, that's where you feel I can just be open. Can I ask you something? What are you focusing on? I'm not telling you to hide things from one another. I'm telling, telling you that it's so important that we make Thanksgiving the center of who we are and we choose to be thankful. So even when you're talking to yourself, that grumbling and that complaining, it'll kill you. It'll kill every positive experience you have in your life. When they grumbled against God, God is perfect. When they grumbled against Moses and they murmured and they complained and, and, and Miriam and Aaron caught leprosy, don't you think Moses was one of the best leaders they'd ever had? You see, it's not about whether you have a good leader or a bad leader, whether you have good family or bad family, good job, bad job, good church, bad church. It's about what you're focusing on. And are you choosing to be thankful? Because Thanksgiving will save It'll save your joy. It'll save your peace. If you choose to be thankful, you can't pray for somebody you can't be thankful for. You should never minister to somebody that you're mad at. If you can't love somebody, you can't correct them. If you can't love somebody, you probably shouldn't even be praying for them right now. Pray for you. Pray that you would be in to love them. Don't you dare try to pray for somebody you can't love. You know why? Because you'll pray out of your flesh. But if you can love them, you'll pray the heart of God. 
Thank God. What we say in our tents matters. I'll just use myself as an example. I got to a place when I got to be an older teenager, well, mid, mid-teenager. You know, the, you know the age where you start to figure out you're the smartest person in the world. You know, it's just, and it goes away. It's a temporary condition, thank God. I've got no illusion of that right now, delusions of that. That's not, that's not something I have to deal with, thinking I'm the smartest guy in the world. But there was a time you start to think, I got it figured out. You start to develop your own opinion. You start to, just to pick stuff apart. And you know, you and your friends, let's say today, you could, you could walk out of here today and you could say, you could focus on what the Lord said. You could focus on the good things. Or you could go home and say, you know, he just talked a little bit too long. You know, he, I don't really like the way he talks. I, it's not, I don't like the music either. Man, the lights were weird. I don't, I don't like any. And you could talk about that. <laughs> and you know what will happen the next time you come? It'll be even harder because now those are the things you focused on. And your buddy's going to have a hard time. Whoever you were talking to is going to go, yeah, you know what? And all those things might be true, but are they worth your focus? I tell you, with the things you start grumbling about, you'll ruin them for yourself. And I see people like move jobs. When they didn't have to move jobs. I see people leave churches when they didn't have to leave churches. Why? Because they couldn't be thankful for it. Because they started complaining, they started murmuring, and they poisoned it for themselves. And they no longer could find any joy in it. And it was, you know, it wasn't a perfect circumstance. But because they had poisoned it with their grumbling and their complaining, they, they found no joy in it anymore. They were miserable all the time. They didn't have to leave. But they did. Don't let that be us. That time in your tent with the people that are closest to you, that is a time where you need to encourage one another. You don't need to lie. You don't need to put on a face. You don't need to be fake. But be really thankful. Genuinely thankful. He says, be thankful. He wouldn't have to command you to be thankful if it was just something you're overwhelmed with and you can't help yourself. You had to choose to be thankful. Look at this. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. This is going to be the thing that heals a broken heart. It's going to be the thing that heals a critical heart. It's going to be the thing that heals a miserable heart. It's Thanksgiving. Because Thanksgiving is putting your focus back on the things you should have been focusing on to start with. What has the Lord done? I'll give you a tip. Here's how you're thankful for somebody that you really don't find any place to be thankful for. You ask the Lord, Lord, why did you put them in my heart? Why did you put them in my life? And maybe you won't get the answer right away, but you begin to thank God for them. You find something to be thankful for. If the only thing you can find to be thankful about is they left you a parking spot today, then find that, make that your starting point, but begin to thank God for them. Then begin to bless them. You know, Jesus told us to bless those that persecute us, which is fine if you're some religious chap that doesn't believe there's any power in that. 
I mean, if you just think, you say, bless you when people sneeze, and you don't, you bless the food, it doesn't matter to you. But we come from a group of people that believe when we bless somebody, they're different. We come from a group of people that believe if I pray a blessing on something, things might go well for them. That's why it's so hard to bless those that persecute you. Because if you're, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're somebody that actually believes in the power of the blessing of God, that means something might go right for them. That, might, that means that something might be well with them. And, and your natural inclination, what you want is for things to go badly so that they'll crawl back to you and go, I was wrong. I needed you. Why? Why did I ever hurt you? You know, that's what we want. Is that just what I want? <laughs> Do you guys ever have those fantasies growing up? That someone, I mean, like you are, if you ever have those arguments with you in the mirror, like where you're way more, you know, put together than you ever are in real life, but you're arguing and you, you know what they're going to say. And then you, fa- I mean, I remember as a kid, I'd fantasize, oh, this is what they'll do. They'll come back to me. Oh, it'll all fall apart. And they'll say, why didn't I listen to you to start with? That rarely happens. <laughs> really rarely happens. But boy, was it a great fantasy. That's what will happen. Can you imagine praying for somebody and blessing them and believing that when you're blessing them, things are going to turn around for them and actually wanting that to happen? Because what's happening is our hearts are being shifted to be like his. When your hearts are shifted to be like his, then all of a sudden God can work in your heart. And God can work in your circumstance because the Bible tells us that the problem is is that when we take our own revenge or we try to fix things for ourselves or we let that anger build walls, we prevent God from working on our end in that circumstance. But when you open your heart and you're thankful, God can work through that prayer. God will work through through you, through your relationship, through your circumstances, and he'll bring life where there was death. He'll bring hope where there was hopelessness. He'll bring love where there was only bitterness. That can happen. So who are you thankful for today? I know when we get up and, you you know, you're the one that got the the leg bone uh, on Thanksgiving Day. You got a big heap of mashed potatoes, and you all go around the room. You say, well, let's talk about what we're thankful for. And three out of five of them said we're thankful for football. You know, and another guy said, oh, I'm thankful that, I'm thankful that, you know, I, I'm thankful that I got to sleep in today. And I was like, okay, well, that's great. When you really think about who you're thankful for, I challenge you to let the answer be different than normal. Now, I, I, maybe don't do it at Thanksgiving meal because now you're going to think, if you get together on Thanksgiving meal, you're going to be like, wait a second. Is he saying he's thankful for me because he actually is really mad at me? Is that a thing? <laughs> no, no, no. I just mean, we're often, we often say we're thankful for things that make us feel good. And things that already are just so perfect, they couldn't, they couldn't be any worse. Could we just say, could we let God work in our hearts so we begin to thank him for things and people that we don't even think we should be thanking him for? Oh, thank you, Lord, for sister this and for brother that. And thank you, Lord, that you have brought me out of this and you brought bringing me into this place. And thank you, Lord. I'm not saying you thank him for things he didn't do. Like when somebody thanks God for the car accident, don't thank God for the car accident. God didn't 
throw you in a car wreck. But thank God that he brought you through it alive. And you know what? If you learn something, thank God for teaching you something. I'm not saying he used the car accident, but he'll teach you something in everything. So thank him for that. Thank him that he brought you out of it. Thank him for the nurses and the doctors and the people. Thank him. Find something to be thankful about. And it doesn't mean you blame God. Just means that you choose to focus on what he's doing instead of what the devil's doing. You choose to focus on what he's doing instead of what, what other people are doing. You choose to focus on him. Because what you focus on, that's our God. And anything else is idolatry. Grumbling and complaining, it's idolatry. And it'll ruin your relationships, it'll ruin your job, it'll ruin your church. Because you can find something to be miserable about about everything. When Jesus went to his own hometown, they found something to criticize him about. His own brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus, who's perfect, somebody found a flaw. That tells me that finding a flaw doesn't make you right. That tells me you can find flaws and still be wrong. There is no honor in being the one that can find flaws better than everybody else. You might think it makes you the smart guy in the room. It doesn't make you the smart guy in the room. It makes you the miserable old coot that nobody's going to visit when you're older. (laughs) Unless they heard this sermon and went to go visit you anyways. (laughs) I say that, but some of the happiest people, some of the most loving people, have been the people in my life. I think there's a choice you have to make. Some of you guys need to tell me if I'm right or wrong, but I think there's a choice people make at about 75, whether they're going to be extremely miserable or extremely happy. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? Like, some of my favorite people in the world are in their 80s. Some of my favorite people in the world, they're just the most loving, joyful people. Nothing can get them down because they just at some point just made a choice. You know what? I'm just going to be happy. I'm just going to be thankful. I'm just going to be loving. And then somebody made a choice. I'm just going to be miserable. And until I die, I'm going to make them wish I would die sooner. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And so make your choice now. We treat, we treat unfailingly happy people like they've got brain damage or something. Like they just don't know what's going on. But maybe they do. Maybe Jesus, don't you think he was the smartest guy in the world? Don't you think he knew more than everybody else? The amount of people that didn't like Jesus. In the end, 12 guys stuck with him, and one of them turned out to be a traitor. That doesn't sound like a good track record. Sounds like if anybody had a right to hate human beings, it was Jesus. (laughs) Yet he loved them. And it says he had joy above all his brethren. He was anointed with the oil of gladness above his brethren. So if the happiest guy on the planet had lots of people that didn't like him and had people that didn't understand him and people that didn't honor him for who he was, don't you think you could be joyful as well? Don't you think you could be thankful as well? Do you know, at the end of his life, the prayer that he prayed was thanking God for the ones he'd given him. That's pretty big. I thank you, Lord that you've revealed these things to them. I thank you, Lord, that you've given, I've given them your word just as you gave me your word. I thank you, Lord, that they're one, even as we are one. This is the prayer that Jesus prayed. If Jesus could pray it, you can too. 
Let's make Thanksgiving the center of our, of our existence. Let's make him the center of our existence. When he's the focus, let's focus on what God's doing instead of what the enemy's doing. Let's focus on what light, what's in the light instead of what's in the darkness. When we get in our tents and we say, this is just between you and me. Wouldn't it be fun if we said, don't tell anybody I said this, it's just between you and me. But isn't that person awesome? Wouldn't that be a funny conversation? You can't tell anybody I said this. Because you and me would get so much trouble. Can't tell anybody I said this. But aren't Spiro and Tina amazing? Don't tell anybody I said that. Just between you and me. Why do we take those just between you and me moments and poison them with negativity? Why can't we just be thankful people? I know there's issues. I'm not saying you don't deal with the issues. Deal with the issues. But deal with them from a place of thanksgiving and from a place of of. Christ-centeredness where we look at what he's doing instead of looking at what else everybody else is doing. It'll change your life. You'll actually enjoy people. You'll enjoy church. You will enjoy your job if you're thankful for it. Thank God. Let's stand up. Now, by the way I close that, you might think I'm saying this is your way to happiness. Just be thankful. But a lot of times it's hard to be thankful. And I'm not telling you this so that you'll say, oh, good. I was waiting for the what's in it for you moment. (laughs) There's always a what's in it for you moment because God gave commandments and he gave promises. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But let's not forget this is a command of the Lord to be thankful. He didn't say, if you know what's best for you, you'll be thankful. You want to be happy, you'll be thankful. He told you, just be thankful. So I know you might say, you know, I should listen to him because I want to be happy. You should also listen to me because the word of God said it. So you should want to do it because the Lord commanded you. It's just a good thing. It'll also also heal some things that have been broken in your life. And I'll tell you the truth. You know, um, those Israelites that came out of Egypt, the Bible says that when Moses first, I know we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, when Moses first spoke to them and told them, come out of Egypt, God's going to set you free. It says they could not hear him because they were so cruelly treated that they had a, their, their spirits were so despondent. Because of their despondency, because of the cruel treatment and the beatings that the Egyptians gave them, they couldn't hear a message of hope. Isn't that sad? And it came out over and over again. That, that those same wounds in their hearts, those same holes, those same broken places never got really fixed. And so it came out that they'd grumble against Moses because they never had, they never had leadership growing up that actually treated them well. So they didn't know how to treat leadership. They grumbled against God because they grew up thinking God had forsaken them. So even when they did see God deliver them, they still had that slave attitude still had that broken, forsaken attitude. It's their children that trusted God. It's their children that grew up knowing that God was faithful. But I would encourage you not to let it fall on your kids to be the first generation, to be joyful in the midst of despair, to be thankful when it doesn't seem like it could be thankful. I want you to show them how to be thankful. The truth is, we've all been wounded at different times. People might have said something. People might have done something. You might have some cruel treatment in your past that has damaged you and hurt you. 
broken you in places, cracked you in places. But I know that we serve a healer. And the Bible says that he heals the broken heart and he binds up their wounds. So there is no reason we have to go through life miserable because of hurts done to us, because of people that have failed us. We can go through life thankful because of a God that rescued us. And it's all about what we choose to focus on. Do we focus on the cross and the resurrection or do we focus on those light temporary afflictions rather than the eternal weight of glory? Father, we are thankful that you rescued us, that you took us out of bondage. You took us out of the pit. You raised us up and seated us in heavenly places with you. Lord, we're thankful that we are not dead anymore, but we're alive. Lord, I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters that are with me today. And even those that aren't with us today, thank you for them. Lord, thank you that you put us in a family. Even if we didn't have a family, you put us in a family with a father that loves us, with brothers and sisters who aren't going to leave us the first time we show signs of being an idiot, of the first time we show signs of betrayal. Lord, you, you, you put us in a family that's forever. And we're thankful. Right now, in the name of Jesus, we speak to those wounded hearts, to those bitter hearts. Now listen, right now, wherever you are, if you have been struggling with bitterness against somebody, against society in general, against whatever, against God, against the church, whatever it is, if there's been bitterness in you, now likely it's come out in the way you talk. But maybe it hasn't creeped out yet. We're going to ask the Lord, if you are willing to give the Lord that bitterness, if you're willing to give the Lord that bitterness right now, he will take it. And, and I know he'll heal what was broken. The trouble with it is that you're going to have to let go of things that feels good to hold on to. You have to let go of your right to be angry because we gave up our rights to be angry a long time ago. You have to give up the possibility of revenge. You have to give up the need for them to, do, to give you something that they couldn't possibly give you. You have to give up the need for them to come and make it right or for the God to make something different or for the church or whatever. Can we just give them the bitterness right now and choose to be thankful? I want us to do something that maybe you haven't done in a while. I want us to think about the things that God put in our life. And we know God put them in our life, whether it's a person, whether it's a job, whether it's the fact that God brought you here, whether it's just where God told you to live. Something you know that God brought you to or God brought it to you. And you've allowed your heart to be bitter against it. You've grumbled and you've complained. You've murmured. You've said things about the person or the thing or the place that came out of hurt. 
And maybe it came out of disappointment, discouragement. Maybe it came out of a genuine feeling of wrong. But we're going to give it to the Lord. And we're going to trust that he make things right. Now I know everybody in the room, if you've been listening, there's something that creeps to the top of the pile. There's something that probably crawls to the top of the pile of all the other things. It's not easy to let go of those things. But I want us to right now begin to thank God. And I want you to find something to be thankful about. And whatever you're finding to be thankful about in that situation or that person or that place, I want that to be your focus for the next week. I want you to think about that. And I want you to refuse to think about the other things. Refuse to think about the hurts and the bitterness and the rejection or whatever. And begin to choose to set your mind on what the Lord is doing through that relationship. Or why the Lord brought you there. Or why the Lord brought that thing to you. Begin to consider. Now I'm talking about things you actually know the Lord brought. Like the people in your life. Or if he puts you in that job and you know you're there because you're supposed to be there. Or if he puts you in this church, you know you're supposed to be here. Or if he puts you in a family and you know you're supposed to be there. Then begin to thank God and find something to be thankful about and let that be your focus. Because what you need to focus on is why God brought them to you. Why God brought you there. Whatever. Why God did it in the first place. Because I know he has something. And if you'll choose to, if you'll be a gold miner, you'll find gold in it. You'll find truth. You'll find what's good. You allow God to work in it. So, Lord, we're giving it to you. Lord, we repent right now for grumbling and complaining and murmuring, for gossiping, for allowing our tongues and our words of our mouth to melt others' hearts or to poison our own. We ask, Lord, that you would heal those hearts. We choose to give them to you right now. You are renewing. You are restoring. You are breathing life. You're breathing life. I just see a picture right now of, of the Lord breathing into something that has been dead for so long. Of God just breathing life. And seeing it open up and become green again, become full of life again. Sometimes that's a connection between two body parts. That's, that's you and somebody else. That, that, that channel between you has been broken for so long. It's been closed for so long. And I see God breathing life into it. Maybe it is wherever God placed you. And God breathes life into it. And it lives. It lives again. Can these bones live? My Lord, you know. Then the Lord says, prophesy to those bones. Tell them to live. These things can live again. Choose life. Choose life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. 
Now I want us to be thankful for people as well. And I want you to find time to thank some people in your life. Just be thankful. Tell them you're thankful. You know, me, naturally, I've realized, if I could just be honest with you, I've realized sometimes I'm way more thankful for somebody than they ever know. It's just the way I express myself. And I have to tell myself, they don't psychically know how thankful I am. I remember standing beside Maria's bedside right before she went on to be with the Lord. And I said, I said, Maria, I'm so thankful God brought you to my life. You don't know how much of a difference you make. And it was, it was nice for me to be able to say that, but what, what was hard for me was that she looked back at me and she said, really? And I thought, why does somebody have to wait till a moment like this? She was so shocked that she had made such a difference in my life. And that's on me. Don't let it come down to somebody's last moments on earth before you tell them how much they mean. It's something I got to get better at. And I want you to know, if you're the person going, yeah, you've never said you're thankful for me. I've always wondered. <laughs> I probably am. I just got to tell you. Because I think about all of you so often. Tia can tell you. But I think about you so much. And I constantly say, God, what did, you know, <laughs> we've talked about how God, why'd you put us in this city? You know, it's a strange city. There's no water nearby. It's just out in the middle of nowhere. Then we think of the people in this city, and we don't know what we did right for God to put us with such wonderful people. I mean, you know what? We're, we're big, we like big, when it comes to cities, we like big cities. But I can't imagine I've ever been in a better place with better people than right here. These are the best people in the world right here. The people that God's put in our life, you guys, have blessed us so much that we really can't find the words to express it. But I promise you this, we're going to try harder because we really do thank God every day for you. And I know a lot of pastors go back and they say, oh, Lord, ministry would be great without, if it weren't for people. Problem with that is ministry wouldn't exist without people. But we don't say that. We really feel blessed. And we're really thankful for all of you. And I want you to know that. And I hope that I'll get, find a way to tell you in, personally in your own way. But I am thankful for all of you. And I love you very much. And may God bless you this week. Tomorrow as you celebrate Thanksgiving, don't do it because it's a stat holiday. Do it because it's a thing that God's told us to do. Be thankful. His love endures forever. His mercy knows no end. He is good forever. And he always will be. Thank you, Lord. You've been good to us. Thank you, Lord. You've been good to us. For the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. We thank you, Lord. And we love you. Thank you for these people that you've put us with. Thank you for the city, this beautiful city that you've called out and you've placed us in. 
so that this city would know you and the power of your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you very much.